To begin our message today, I want to ask you, what's a place of peace for you? When you think about a place of peace, what comes to mind for you? I have said many, many times that a key place of peace for me is the beach. doesn't matter where it is, as long as there's a beach, there is peace there for me. Very, very much a place where I can experience peace in significant ways, whether that's for a short amount of time or, as we're going to do in a few weeks, uh, when we're on holidays for an extended amount of time. For some of us, it might be uh, in a park, just being able to sit with some trees and in some shade and maybe sitting on a park bench, that might be a place of peace for us. For some of us, we might have a special place at home. So you might have a special uh, lounge chair that you sit in that you can see out in the garden, or you might have, I just spent the last two days restaining our deck so that when I'm on holidays, I can sit out there and enjoy our backyard. So you might have a special place under your pergola where you can sit outside and have a coffee. That might be a place of peace for you as well. For some of us, it might be right here. We might experience uh, coming here on Brooklyn, to Brooklyn Park on a Sunday morning is a place where we get to experience a sense of peace. Have you been able to identify somewhere? I hope that you've got an image or some kind of spot in your mind that you would say is a place of peace. Because I want to ask you, why do you think you experience peace in that place? Why is it that it's a place of peace for you? I think for a lot of us, Whatever that place of peace is, it's a place where we get to slow down. It's a place where we just get to breathe. And all the frenzy of life just kind of slows around us. For some of us, that place of peace might be a place where we get to just stop and recognise what's most important. We get to put the to-do list aside for a little while. Be able to say, no, no, what is actually my highest priority? What are the most important things in my life? And to recalibrate around that. I think for a lot of us, it's because we've had significant experiences in that place of peace before. We've been there and we've experienced peace, and then we've been there again and we've experienced peace, and so there's something that kind of feeds on itself where we now have a sense of anticipation. This is a place where I get to be able to go and be able to experience peace. Today, as I've mentioned throughout the service, we're focusing on this theme of peace as we wrap up our Advent series, this journey that we've been on where we've been looking at a number of Christmas snapshots uh, of different characters throughout the Christmas narrative to explore the four themes of hope, love, joy, and then today we get to focus on peace. And we're going to look at that through the eyes of the wise men and the journey that they go on. It's really interesting because Gordon read some verses from John chapter 14, verse 27, which is exactly where I wanted to start as well, to remind us that as we talk about this idea of peace, this is the primary reason why Jesus came, that Jesus himself said these words that Gordon just read in John 14, 27. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Jesus comes to establish a kingdom of peace, shalom, wholeness, completeness, life the way that it's supposed to be, that replaces our fear, replaces our anxiety, replaces replaces our troubles with a deep sense of peace. And not just when things are going well, but even maybe especially in those times when things are not going well, Jesus comes to bring peace into our lives. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. So if you're teaching notes inside of the newsletter, you can feel free to grab those if you want to jot things down as we go through today's message. And we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, you can open up to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to start out at verse 1. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. So we've got this key character in the Christmas narrative whose name is Herod, King Herod, who has been put in charge of all of the Jewish nation uh, over Judea. And we know that this guy was kind of a bit of a puppet for the Romans. He was put there by the Romans, uh, but he was incredibly insecure. We know that Herod killed three of his sons and his wife and his mother-in-law, all because he wanted to protect his kingship and hold on to his sense of power. We also understand that Herod had a whole bunch of people arrested and put in jail so that when he died, they could be executed and people would be upset because he wanted people to be upset on the day of his death. And so this was his strategy about making that happen. A very insecure man was King Herod. Now, we want to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that he wanted people to live at peace But for Herod, this idea of peace was very much about power. His power, his ability to uh, make sure that he felt comfortable, that he felt in charge of things, and that nothing changed from what he wanted. And so given this level of insecurity that we know Herod's got, imagine how he must have felt when these travellers from a very distant land came and said to him, hey, we've come to worship the new king who's going to replace you. Do you know where he is? How do you think he would have felt when they came and asked him that question? Well, we're told in verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. It's good for us to recognise that often when we think about peace, we can fall into the trap of believing that peace ultimately comes from power, that peace comes from power. We have this belief that if good people are the people who are in power, then we will experience a sense of peace. And we generally understand that the opposite is certainly true, that when bad people are in power, that means that we don't experience peace. We experience conflict, we experience greed, we experience an abuse of power. And in lots of ways that is true. There are countless examples around the world where a lot of the conflict and the suffering that people experience is directly due to the people in power abusing the power that they've got. But it's an interesting question to say, is it true that the opposite happens? That if a good person is in power, then peace is the end result for everyone. That was certainly the expectation that we've unpacked a little bit as we've talked about what they were hoping the Messiah was going to do. This king who was going to ride in and who was going to overtake, overthrow the Roman army and re-establish Israel as the dominant nation. Good king, everyone will get to experience peace. But it's interesting to reflect on whether that ends up being the result the majority of the time. I was trying to think of some examples through this week, and the key one that stood out to me was when President Obama was elected. And so put aside your political leanings just for a moment. Do you remember what it was like when he was elected? I have vivid memories of that afternoon, which was evening for them, when we watched those amazing scenes play out. Do you remember the tens hundreds of thousands of people that had all gathered with this sense of hope about what was going to happen because he'd been elected president. This sense that finally some things are going to move forward. That chant that we heard over and over again, yes, we can. This expectation that if we have someone who's a good person in power, then peace is ultimately going to be the result. 
Is that how things played out? And again, we can put aside politics and our opinions about Americans for a moment. We would say that by the time that Obama finished, finished his second presidency, in some ways America was more divided and there was more conflict than there was when he began. Herod was deeply disturbed with this news that a new king was coming. Obviously for him that was very personal because there was this sense that a new king is going to not mean a sense of peace for him. But it's fascinating that for the people in Jerusalem, they felt disturbed as well. You would expect that if you've got a king like Herod, who's not that good a guy, they would have rejoiced that there's this news that there's a new king. But they were deeply disturbed because there's this recognition that with a new king comes turmoil, conflict, it's probably going to be a battle to fight it out over who gets to be king. And so there was just this sense of unsettledness that all of them experienced. Well, in verse 4, Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law, and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. It's interesting to note that it's clear that Herod and the religious leaders were very, very aware of the prophecies about this Messiah. Herod doesn't say, hey, I haven't heard about this before. He specifically says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? He was very aware that this was something that was coming. And the religious leaders didn't say, oh, we don't know. We better go and look this up and we'll get back to you in a couple of days. They answered immediately. They clearly knew exactly what the prophecies were all about. But were they expectantly searching for this Messiah to come? We contrast this with what we looked at with Simeon and Anna a few weeks ago and their sense of just being on high alert, expectantly looking for the Messiah and celebrating when they had the opportunity to finally meet him. These religious leaders didn't seem to be searching. There could be all sorts of different reasons for that. We've talked about how it was hundreds of years since God had really spoken anything clearly and so maybe there was just a sense where they'd given up hope. Maybe it had just become too familiar to them. It was a bit blasé. Yeah, 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 we've heard about the Messiah before. We'll just see what happens. Who knows? But clearly they weren't actively seeking Jesus. They were aware of these prophecies, but not really searching or doing anything about it. In verse 7, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. So we recognise these key characters in the Christmas narrative, these wise men, or the Greek term for them, which is magi, which we often talk about as well. These were people who were stargazers, people who studied the stars, they were astrologers and were able to just discern this is what's going on, these are key things that are happening because of the movements of the stars and what was happening in the heavens. We're told that they came from an eastern land. We don't know where exactly. Some people would say Babylonia. Some people would say Persia, which is modern-day Iran. There's an interesting concept here to be able to say maybe they did come from Babylonia and that they knew about the Messiah because of the exile of the Israelites who had been taken to Babylon so many years before and would have shared their understandings about these prophecies about the Messiah. Maybe that was a part of how they knew about all that was going on and all that was to come. But they tell Herod, we saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Here again, we recognise the difference between people who are aware of these prophecies 
and people who are actively searching. For them, they saw the star as it rose. They were on high alert. They were looking out for it with a sense of expectation. This is going to happen, and we're excited about it. Imagine the years that they spent reading, searching, learning, studying the stars, trying to be able to understand when is this going to happen and what's it going to look like. And what's fascinating is that God meets them where they're at. God doesn't wait until they've set out to come over to Jerusalem and to meet them there. God meets them in this distant and faraway land connects with them over there. In a different culture, probably with a different set of religious beliefs and practices, God meets them where they're at. We know that our culture is searching in very, very significant ways. All of us ultimately are searching as well, but so many of the people in the community around us are searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for answers, searching for stability, Think about the conversations that I'm sure you have with neighbours, with friends, with family. There's so much of us that wants to be able to just have a sense of confidence and certainty. But at the end of the day, I think that all of our searchings can be summed up in this word that we're focused on today, peace. Ultimately, that's what all of us are searching for, peace, wholeness, completeness, life the way that it's supposed to be. Our belief is that we find that peace in Jesus because he offers us something very different to anyone or anything else. That so often our thoughts, particularly in our culture, are that peace comes if we do enough right. If we can just get to this point in our lives, if we can just earn this amount of money, if we can buy these things, if we can get this thing sorted out, if we can have these relational dynamics, then everything will be great and it's all about us. We believe that Jesus offers us something very different. That's not about our sense of striving. It's not about our sense of achieving. It's not about what we can do, but it is a gift, a gift of peace that says, despite what's happening in your life, I have come to give you peace, to give you wholeness, to give you completeness, not because you've earned it, because you've worked hard enough, not because you deserve it, but just because I want you to experience that in your life because that's how God always created you to live. Acceptance, forgiveness, embrace, welcome, all of those things are offered with peace. The challenge for us is to question whether we believe that God is meeting people where they're at in their searching. Do people have to end up in a certain place to be able to find the answers to the searching that they've got? Or is God actually far more at work than maybe we're aware As we think about the movies that are around us, as we think about the music that's around us, the books that are around us, the things that people watch, the things that people focus on, is God actually at work meeting people in those places? Because when we think about the dominant themes of major movies, of the major music that's around us, of the major books that make a difference, at the end of the day, most of them are also about peace or a search or a quest for peace, for wholeness, for completeness. And so is God stirring and at work in people's searchings in the relationships that we've got? And does God want to invite us to be a part of those conversations, to have opportunities to help people to see, you know that thing you're searching for? You know that thing you're craving so much? Do you know why that movie moved you so much? Do you know why that music moves you so much? Do you know why that book made such a difference in your life? That's because that's God at work in your life 
That's what we believe Jesus came to bring is a sense of peace and wholeness and completeness. And we can share about the difference that that's made in our lives. Well, back to the narrative in verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So here we see the response of the wise men when they finally get to meet Jesus. And what is that response? It's worship. They bow down, they kneel down before him. They greet him as their king. And they offer these really significant gifts to Jesus, again, as an acknowledgement of his kingship. Now, there's a couple of very interesting asides that we need to just name here because sometimes people get a little bit confused about some of the things in the Christmas narrative. We do recognise that we don't know how many kings there were, how many wise men there were. Now, we're about to sing a song later on in the service that talks about three wise men because that's what we generally understand, but that's because there were three gifts. We're not told whether there were two wise men or whether there were seven. We don't know. We just know there were some. And so we can just name that, but that's okay. We don't have any issues with that. The other part of it is to recognise that we're told that they actually go to the house to see the child where they bow down. There is an understanding in some circles that that the wise men didn't meet Jesus as a baby in the stable, which doesn't match with our nice nativity scenes, which is very, very unfortunate, but that in actual fact it was a little bit later on and that Jesus may have even been a toddler at this point when that happened. Part of this is the understanding that Herod decided he wanted to wipe out all of the kids under two. And so if Jesus had definitely been a baby at the time, he probably wouldn't have needed to go for two years old. So there's a bit of an understanding there. But as I said, we're also told that they went and visited him in a house, not a stable, and they saw the child, not the baby. It's good for us to just name that, not because it's like controversial or crazy, but it's one of those things where we end up coming back to what do the words of scripture tell us? And we don't have any problem with that whatsoever. But it's also fine for us to be able to say it's helpful for us to recognise as a part of the Christmas narrative, these guys were present and there is something that we can learn from them. We know that the gifts that they brought were incredibly significant. Gold, frankincense and myrrh. The gold is a very much a symbol of something that you give to a king, to a ruler, to someone who's regal. So that was that gift. The frankincense is incense, which was something that was used by priests in their worship of God to help other people to be able to connect with God. And the myrrh was a spice that was used to help prepare people's bodies for burial. And so in these amazing gifts, we have this sense of understanding so much more about Jesus, which is amazing that these wise men, again, from a different culture, understood all of that. Didn't just bring gifts of gold, but frankincense, recognising that Jesus comes as our priest, the one to help us to connect with God, and this gift of myrrh, to recognise where Jesus' life was ultimately going to end and his burial that is so much a part of the story as well. But it's also interesting to recognise 
that Mary and Joseph had to flee in order to keep Jesus safe because of this persecution that Herod had chosen to do against all of these children. And so they fled all the way to Egypt. Now, this is a young couple who don't have a lot of money and don't have a lot of resources. How on earth would they have been able to leave for what we understand was a significant amount of time? We understand that these gifts would have been significantly valuable and probably provided the resources for them to be able to make that journey and to be able to be looked after and provided for in a far and distant land until ultimately Herod does pass away and it's safe for them to return home. But think about the journey of these wise men. Leaving a far distant land, travelling over deserts, travelling over hills with this sense of uncertainty. Searching, looking, watching the stars, asking around. We assume they probably didn't just ask when they got to Jerusalem about where this baby was supposed to be born. They probably asked in lots of other towns and cities along the way. A sense of searching, a sense of wondering. This massive sacrifice that they made, let alone the cost of the gifts that they brought. Was it worth it for them? Absolutely. We see just this deep sense of gratitude and awe that they have as they kneel down before Jesus when they finally get to meet him. This sense of being able to say, I have finally found what I've been looking for all this time. Here it is, right in front of me. As we head into Christmas week, we celebrate the reality that we don't have to go on a long and arduous journey in order to encounter Jesus, wondering, hoping that we might find what we're looking for. We have the privilege of being able to gather this coming weekend to be able to celebrate that Jesus has come as the king who comes to bring peace into our lives, beginning in the form of a baby who grows into a man who shows us what a life of peace looks like and who dies and rises again so that we can experience peace in our lives every single day. But that peace is established not through power and politics, but through sacrifice and service. So the challenge for us as we head into Christmas week is what is our response in the midst of all of this? Are we willing to sacrificially worship Jesus, to put aside inconvenience, to put aside feeling uncomfortable, to put aside costs to find what we're searching for? What are the gifts that we want to come and lay before Jesus as we head towards Christmas. And so that's what I want to give us an opportunity to be able to reflect on before we move into communion. What gifts am I bringing to the King of Peace as we head into Christmas week? You might want to use this time as an opportunity just to be able to pause and to recognise that the Prince of Peace is here with us right now, to take some deep breaths and to experience Jesus' peace in the here and now. But you may also want to take some time to just think about how you respond. What does it look like for you to kneel down before Jesus, to be able to offer him your worship, to be able to offer him your gifts as we head into this week? Take some time to reflect, and then we'll come back and pray together.
Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you come as our Prince of Peace, that you come to bring shalom, completeness and wholeness, life the way that it's supposed to be, into our everyday existence. We thank you that we get to celebrate that, that we get to experience that. We thank you that we have those spaces that we can go to where we can slow down, where we can stop, where we can pause, and where we can experience your peace in deep ways. And so we pray that particularly in the midst of everything that's going on for us at the moment, as we head into this week, where often there's so much that's happening, that you would help us to pause and to take some time to experience your peace as we head into Christmas weekend. But we also thank you that you call us to come before you and to worship, not because you want and need that, not because of power dynamics, but simply because you want us to be able to acknowledge and understand how significant it is that you come to give us a gift of peace, the peace that goes beyond understanding, the peace that pervades into our lives even when we're feeling troubled and afraid, that that's a gift that you want to give to us. And so we ask that you would help us to prioritise giving you the worship that you deserve, offering ourselves back to you because you are our King. And we ask too that as we head into this week and beyond, that you would continue to help us to have our spiritual radar up for those opportunities where there are people around us who are searching and yearning for peace. We know that there are so many people in the community around us who just are craving a sense of understanding what life is supposed to be all about. We thank you for the privilege that it is that we've discovered so many answers in you. We pray that you would help us to have the privilege of being able to encounter people, meeting you where they're at in all sorts of different ways and to be able to share about the hope, the love, the joy and the peace that we experience in you, especially as we head to Christmas. In your name we pray. Amen.